2: Hello and welcome to the Country Farm Magazine podcast, essential listening for anyone who loves the British countryside. My name's Fergus Collins and I'm the editor of the magazine. The team and me have gathered today to talk about the December issue, which is in the shops now. We've also got a bit of wildlife magic uh, in this podcast when I visited the Great Starling Spectacle in the Somerset Levels. And Abigail takes a trip to one of Britain's most picture-perfect villages to see how the lucky residents celebrate Christmas in their own unique way. But more on that later. Being December, the magazine has an unashamedly warm and Christmassy glow throughout. We've got tons of suggestions for winter walks, places to visit, local food to try, and even some last-minute present inspiration. But as always, we all have our favourite features. Perhaps, Abigail, you'd like to start off and tell us what your pick of the month is.
3: Um, it was really difficult to choose, actually, from the December issue. There was lots of favourite features. But I think, personally, it would have to be um, Edwardian Farm, which was written by Ruth Goodman, who was one of the presenters of the Edwardian Farm series, which which should be out now. Um, and she was also one of the um, historians that presented Victorian Farm. And um, yeah, in this article, Edwardian Farm, she just writes about the differences between Edwardian farming compared to Victorian farming, and how Edwardian farming shaped the landscape. And it is it is a fascinating article. And Ruth Goodman, she is just she's, she's just one it, of my heroes. Yeah,
2: she's wonderful. I really liked the piece because it had. Um it gave you a sense of what the landscape would have smelt like and sounded like. Yeah. It would have been full of horses, not machinery. So you would have had human sounds and the sounds of animals rather than... Mm. Um, and there weren't, obviously, there weren't motor cars, but the only, the only sort of mechanical sound would be the new trains bursting through the countryside. Yeah. So had, that was a nice side to it, not just the kind of technological side. Yeah, definitely. And
3: I think it was surprising to learn that um, cause in the Victorian era, women did muck in... A lot more, you know, with, with the men when it came to sort of reaping in the harvest and stuff. But in, in the Edwardian era, women just sort of tend to go back in, indoors. Really, you get very domestic duties, yeah. whereas the
2: men work the land. And it seems like a division of sexes yeah. really happens in that era. In any what, 100, 110 years ago, a hundred years ago. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's fascinating.
3: Yeah, definitely. And I I just found it interesting because I actually stayed on the in the Victorian farm. Um yeah and I've written about it for the Great Days Out section.
2: This is when you make some corn dollies for the Christmas tree. Yes, yes, Lucky thing.
3: <laughs> Yes, I made a corn dolly Christmas angel which uh, yeah which will be pride of place on top of my Christmas tree, definitely. Fantastic.
2: Dave, how about you? What was your f- sort of favourite of the month?
4: Um well, my favourite feature was about our winter migrants, um thrushes. I don't really know anything about birds myself. I'm not really um, much of a twitcher, but I found the article really interesting because um, last winter, in the harsh winter, I um, actually saw some red wings, which I'd never really been able to identify before. There's two species that sort of invade, aren't there? There's um,
2: field fairs and red wings, and I think they come from Scandinavia. Yeah. Um, and... Basically, they see coming to Britain as a bit of a summer holiday for them, or winter holidays, warmer from than, where they, where, than where they breed. And they come and basically strip our hedgerows of berries. And they're really beautiful birds, but not many people know about them. So this feature kind of flags them up and shows you how to find them yourself. Yeah. Something to
4: look out for this winter. Indeed. And because of the harsh winter and a lot of snow we had last year, or actually early, early this year, um, they started to invade people's gardens to find more food. So that was... Where well, they're easier to identify, a lot of P- people, people thought they were cuckoos and yeah, all sorts of exactly. odd things. But um,
2: and actually, they arrive in massive numbers—like million, two million of them. So uh, we really ought to be more familiar. But if you don't know your red wings and your fieldfares, there's a there's a lovely feature in this month's issue. Now I'm going to dive in before I ask Jay what her favourite is, <laughs> um, just because I know she's got a game for us to play. But uh, my my f- favourite, the, the feature I enjoyed. Putting together most was um, actually Valentine Warner's Christmas feast. Now, Valentine Warner is a is a is a chef who's joined the magazine recently, and he decided that he'd like to um, produce a, sl- a slight sort of traditional Christmas meal, but with a bit of a variation. So I was lucky enough to go along with him, with a photographer, and we found somewhere for him to cook and spent a day being entertained by him because it was amazing how he put the whole menu together while carrying on this ridiculous banter. Um, he's he's great fun, and his piece reflects that. It's full of sort of quirky little valisms, and um, he's he's a real asset to the magazine. And I think throughout the next year, his column is going to be uh, a, some, some kind of quirky insight into country cooking, but also um, just a, a bit of fun as well. So uh, thanks Val for for a wonderful day, and um, readers enjoy the enjoy his menu. And on to Joe, who has. A special pick of the month.
0: (laughs) I do, yeah. Um, My favourite feature is the origin of British pub names. I found this fascinating because our pubs. I mean, it's a a unique institution to 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 Britain. There's no other place in the world where you find these places, which have been. I mean, they've been a refuge for like smugglers, pilgrims, nowadays walkers. They've seen dynasties rise and fall. They've you know taken sides or not taken sides over the years, and their names actually reflect all these roles that they've played. And I just find it fascinating because you don't actually necessarily think this when you go to your local crown or bear or anchor. It's just fascinating to find out the reasons behind these names, like the the bear, which used to be in the reign of Elizabeth I. Um, they used to be sort of bear baiting happening at these pubs and bull baiting in other pubs, which is What's why... A happy a, thought. Yeah, what I mean. a happy, <laughs> happy thought. But, you know, which is why the bull is actually, you know, more of a popular name than bears, because bears are a bit exotic. And right down to really... We've got our most common names in there but also down to our most unusual, like the drunken duck in um Ambleside in Cumbria, whereby the, the ducks actually got drunk on beer one day and the landlady thought that they were dead and started plucking them and then they came back <laughs> back to life midway it's tragic yeah, there is actually quite a lot of tragedy in this <laughs>
4: and then val warner served them up for his <laughs> christmas dinner <laughs> yeah. no, apparently she i don't know whether this is true or not but the legend goes that she felt so guilty that she actually knitted them jumpers yeah to keep that's them. Warm. What i
0: heard yeah so it does have a lovely happy ending. <laughs> quite often when
4: i go to the pub i i discover all this history about the um
2: the well, the history behind the pub's name but strangely by the end of the evening i've forgotten this all again i can't quite <laughs> oh, really? put my finger on it
0: well um i mean the idea behind the feature when i commissioned it was to fill it full of what we call pub ammo so it's the idea is that you can read this feature and take these facts and um quiz your friends maybe just show off maybe to put put together your own pub quiz uh so i decided to put together a pub quiz for the country file magazine team um no one else has seen these questions yet, so that everyone's looking a little bit nervous. I tried <laughs> to look at the answers, but I <laughs> yeah, they're in bright red pens, so <laughs> do be careful. Um, so we've got eight questions here. It's going to be a bit of a um, is it call my bluff, where I give you uh, three answers, and one of them is correct. You may confer. Uh, there's also uh, three bonus, four bonus points actually, so a maximum of. 12 points. And the
2: winner gets that delicious pint of foaming ale that's sitting in front of you at the moment.
0: Exactly. exactly. Uh, excellent. I wonder what it and was doing. And if you can't though. get more than five points, I get it. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, um, are, you, are you ready, Countryfile team? I think so. Yes. yes. Okay, so welcome to the uh, Countryfile magazine pub quiz. Eyes down for the first question. Which of these pub names are genuine? Is it A, the silent woman, B, the talkative man, or C, the happy trout?
2: It's got to be the silent woman, right? Well, a talkative man sounds very unusual. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you think it's unusual to have a talkative man, or just to name a pub? Mm, after apart
2: one? from me in this podcast, um, Happy Trout. I think
0: I've heard of that.
2: I don't know. I think Dave, you might you might have something. Why, why do you think it might be the silent woman?
4: I don't know. Just sounds. It's got a nice ring to it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 nice ring. I'm glad you said that. And, <laughs> and also, it could be um, steeped in some kind of. I don't know, legend. You, you often hear of sort of like ghostly silent women <laughs> walking around. I imagine around that to be like that.
3: just this lonely pub and I don't know, in Dartmoor or something. It
0: sounds something like that. Yeah. Okay. So what are you S- going to go for? Silent woman. Yeah. Silent that woman. Is. You are correct. Excellent. Is
2: <laughs> that pint an inch closer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It actually comes from um, a pub in Wareham in Dorset, which was once a smugglers' haunt. And... Um, the customers found out that the landlady was um, threatening to give away their secrets, so they um, threatened to silence her by cutting out her tongue. Isn't that jolly, jolly tale yeah. for uh, a
2: pub name to take its name from?
0: So that's one point for Country File. Okay. Uh, question two The Frog and Toad Pub requires patrons to A. Sign their name on a register before ordering a drink, B. Sing the national anthem before ordering a drink or C, hand one shoe to the barman for the duration of their visit.
2: Oh, Singing the National Anthem sounds extremely tedious to have mm, to do if before you're doing that every ordering, ordering a pint. I, and I think you'd soon have an empty pub. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, probably the Handing a shoe in could be you know unfortunate. It could be any manner of thing. On the shoe, smelly feet. <laughs> yeah, it's just a mindful. That
2: also sounds pretty uh, un, unpleasant and, mm-hmm. and antisocial. It's what's only what the, you do what, at a bowling alley, What was the other one?
0: Um... Sign their name on a register before ordering a drink.
2: Possibly. Why oh, that sounds
4: anti-libertarian. I, no, I, I think it's that. Yes. I think it's something to do with some weird licensing thing that they had many years ago and that stuck. Sounds very anti-libertarian. But that's my guess.
2: That's my You were good. It's you were right last time. I think. Abigail.
3: Well, I personally think it's handing over a shoe. Just Why because, do you think that? Just because you know the landlord might have a really strange sense of humour and people might go along with it and. Mm-hmm. What are you
0: going to go for? Probably the register one. Registering the name is probably more likely, I'd say. Registering the name? Okay,
2: registering the name.
0: Okay, Okay, that is actually incorrect. The answer is hand one shoe to the barman for the duration of your visit. But don't worry, you do have a chance to get a bonus point if you can tell me why.
4: So you don't run off without paying?
0: Oh! Did the pub used to be a cobbler's workshop? Um, no, what happens in this pub is all the beer is served in a, a mini yard of ale glass, which is mounted on a piece of wood. Um, and they have a, such high souvenir value that people were making off of them. So, in order to drink out of these special glasses, you have to hand over one of your shoes. So, it's a deposit. As a deposit. So dev- for Dave your was almost right, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So it's so half
2: a bonus point, sure. <laughs>
0: No. Um, question three. Um, how much beer sold in the UK is actually brewed in the UK? Is it A, 40%, B, 90% or C, 70%? Are
4: we talking beer and lager as well?
0: Um, yes. Beer and
4: lager, OK. It's going to be 40 then. I'd
2: say 70. I think we brew it. It may not actually be a British. Champagne. Oh, yeah, OK. Yeah, I think, okay. okay. Just, just for actual Does shift. that, uh, shifting around the country. Sure. Should we go 70? Yeah, yeah. 70
0: it is actually ninety percent.
2: Oh, yes, makes sense. <laughs> beer doesn't travel very well. That's
0: true. It's true. In fact, there's there's actually um, a bit of a, a trend at the moment, which we're going to look into in another another issue, whereby we're actually making beer that's being transported out to you know, trendy bars in Hong Kong. It's actually coming from uh, barley growers in, in the UK. It's like quite the opposite of what normally happens with, with lagers. Okay, so we're still only on one point. and that beer looks like it's going to be mine. Okay, question four. Gin was originally made, A, to treat kidney disorders, B, as a cheap alternative to beer, or C, to ease the pain of childbirth.
2: Very good question. Is
0: that why it's called Mother's Ruin? Could be.
2: (laughs) To treat kidney disorders, I think it causes those sort of disorders rather than treat them.
0: Mm -hmm. um, It also shouldn't ease the pain of childbirth. It's not ideal, is it?
4: I reckon he's the pain of childbirth. Yeah, yeah. funnily enough.
0: Um, the answer is actually A, to treat kidney disorders, although I think a lot of people did use it for C. Mm. So we're still on one. OK, um, question five. The Royal Oak in Ramsbottom is famous for hosting A, the English Chicken Racing Championship, B, the National Beer Downing Competition, or C, the World Black Pudding Throne Championship.
4: It's it's not the da- it's not the beer downing one, I don't think.
0: Why is that? Do you know where that is?
4: <laughs> no, I... I but I've heard of this pub. Every pub holds that. Yeah, I've heard of this pub in relation to something. So it's either the first one or the third one. And where, where
2: in the world is this pub?
0: Uh, Ramsbottom. That's, um, I'm going to get lynched if I get this wrong. I think it's Yorkshire. Yorkshire it's black
2: words? Pudding could be. Yeah, I think it's probably black, it's pudding. black Pudding.
0: Yeah, OK. Uh, that's right. Yay! Yay! And there's a bonus point if you can tell me how they score it. What are they throwing them at?
2: Is it a place of bacon, eggs, sausage, baked beans?
0: <laughs> Nearly. Um, a ram's bottom? <laughs> Not quite, Dave.
4: No, I've no idea.
0: Um, the aim is to dislodge a pile of Yorkshire puddings set on a 20 foot high plinth. So you have two points and we're on to question six. Which pub featured in the Hitchhiker, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Was it A, the, fo- the fox and hound, B, the horse and groom, or C, the dog and duck?
4: So I I can hear this one. I think it might be the horse and green.
0: Everyone agree?
4: I'm happy to go with that.
0: Yeah, it's correct. Um, and for a bonus point, why do they down three pints there?
4: He down
2: three pints because no. so he's only got ten minutes?
0: Partly. It's to calm... He, he, they do only have ten minutes, but it's to calm his muscles before teleporting. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh. Yeah.
2: We'll do, uh, we do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, question seven. The Ten Bells pub in London is renowned for being A, frequented by the highwayman Dick Turpin in the 1730s, B, a favourite watering hole for Charles Dickens, Lord Byron, and John Keats, or C, the haunt of Jack the Ripper during 1888.
2: Oh, that's, that's just a stab in the yeah, dark. exactly. It's just a <laughs> Jack guess. the Jack the Ripper.
4: <laughs> I, I'd say I, B. I don't think it's B, because I've heard of, I don't know, something is telling me that it's not B, but it might be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's very decided, Dave, anyone anyway else? <laughs> <that. laughs>
4: it's not Jack the Ripper. It can't be Jack the Ripper, because it's... Cause
0: they don't know it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the for option A was?
0: Um. Frequented by the highwayman Dick yeah, I'm Yeah, I reckon yeah, that
2: Dick Yeah.
0: It was, in fact, C, the haunt of Jack the Ripper. But! He met, he met two of his victims there. Oh, and right. it, it used to be called the Jack the Ripper until people, you know, rightly sort of complained that he doesn't no, want to be really? promoting that sort of thing.
2: Not a great name for a pub. No. But yeah. No, that's a shame. Well, we talked ourselves out of that. I apologise okay. to you.
0: <laughs> so we have, you have three points and you have one more question, but there's one more bonus point, so you have to get both of these right in order to win that. Uh, oh, OK, family.
2: well, that's good to have some tension.
0: Yeah. Um, the most common pub names are A, The Red Lion and The Crown... B, the white heart and the queen's head. Or C, the royal oak and the swan.
4: It's the red lion and the crown. Yeah. It, and, and they swap positions. One was, one was number one for the camera and one was number one for the British oh, really? pub association. really? Oh, do you know that? Well, because I looked it up for the feature, that's why. Ah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll take my point. I think that local knowledge <laughs> is very useful.
0: Yeah. Uh, Dave is correct. Uh, it is the red lion and the crown. At the moment, it's the red lion. Um, And for the bonus point, to the nearest hundred, how many red lions are there in the country?
4: 5,000. I reckon 1,200.
0: Abigail? I'd say 8,000. 8,000 red (laughs) lion (laughs) pubs! i would be like every second yes it's, less,
4: uh, it's, it's going to be something like 600 now actually come on yeah. um,
0: well the, the figure that I have is from 2007 to be fair so it could have changed quite a lot but it was 759 well, there's been oh a lot God. more since it's then probably, I think it's near 5,000 several now thousand. Yeah. if anyone knows how many there are this year then please write in well um, yeah so you've got 4 correct out of 12 which is poor show actually guys so this pint of beer is mine and uh, listeners, feel free to use that in your own pub quizzes. Thanks, and, um, Jay. Yeah, have a Merry Christmas.
2: <laughs> but before we go, it's time for me to take you on a little trip out of the studio down to the Somerset Levels. Now, in the December issue, I've written about West Hay National Nature Reserve, which is a wonderful, wonderful wild area on the Somerset Levels, where you might be lucky enough to see one of Britain's great wildlife spectacles, the great starling roost, where these, up to a million of these beautiful little birds swirl around in enormous acrobatic flocks before heading down to Roost, and hundreds of people turn up almost every night in winter to see it. So I went down to look for myself, but on the way I got diverted by a message from one of my friends saying that the Roost was happening nearby, not at West Hay, but at Ham Wall. And this is how I got on. Well, having said that there are very few people around, Ham Wall car park is absolutely full. There are cars all the way down the road. I hope I'm not too late for these starlings. I've already seen a few flocks fly overhead. We're he- I'm heading into the reserve now. Which is a walkway. It's an old railway track. And there's a pub here called the Railway Inn. Which looks very inviting. But uh, I need to motor along now. Alright, I can see what looks like smoke in the sky ahead. It's a vast flock of starlings doing their thing, it's amazing like a huge line sneaking over the tops of, tree, of the trees up and down, up and down sideways swooping, it's like suddenly goes black and then it's they all fly to one side and lots of little flocks coming together now but there's one huge flock right above these reed beds it's just going on forever here comes a small flock above me for oh, three, 200-300 birds they're all coming in now. There are some good numbers in the sky. It looks like a great really big boomerang at the moment. Ah, oh, they're suddenly drained into the reed bed. But, uh, yeah, lots of little flocks coming from all around the countryside. Ah, oh, and just in the distance, silhouetted. Why it looks, it's not that far, away. Right? Glastonbury Tor. What a backdrop to this fantastic ext- wildlife uh, Wonders wonder spectacle. Perfect evening. The sky is kind of bruised and purpley. So you've got these wisps of starling smoke. There's a huge crowd of people up ahead. And they're all watching these uh, they've got the A1 position to watch the starlings come in. That's a flock of thousands upon thousands. Oh, it's like it looks like a dragon. There's a small one behind, it's like a family of dragons, smaller flocks behind.
1: There is actually a massive flock out the back, if you use your binoculars to look over to the right and you can see a huge flock in the distance, over the farm, it is huge. That's a massive flock of starlings. And in fact, there's actually a nearer flock as well, just coming in here. You can see this lot, and there's another load behind.
2: (laughs) How many millions? Um, We're talking hundreds of thousands. We're talking hundreds of thousands. Do you mind if I record this as a podcast for Country Farm magazine? Oh, not a problem at
1: all. That's quite all right, and, yeah. And your name is, sorry? Uh, it's Chris Griffin, I'm, yeah. we work for the RSPB. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an information assistant for the RSPB. Fantastic. Um, and at the moment, we, we've got around about, well, anywhere between sort of 350 to 600,000 birds. OK. Um, I mean, obviously, sort of trying to count the vast numbers is, is a little bit difficult <laughs> um, when they start <laughs> so to we come in. An enormous flock heading from <laughs> pretty much horizon to horizon. That's right. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing when they are coming I mean, you can still see them all the way in the back. All the way at the back there. No? Yeah, and there's a f- further flock behind, and a f- it's like layers and layers of birds. <laughs> That's right. right. Um, I mean, in, in the morning when you get to see them go, it, when they actually come out the reeds, it can take 25 minutes for the whole flock to come out.
2: So the, the sort of the takeoff is as good as the as oh, the roost. Yeah. Sometimes even people better. don't get up. People don't get up early enough to That's <laughs> it. To.
1: Um, but sometimes it can be even better because like, it's the yeah. whole kind of mindset behind it. Because you've got the whole sort of these guys are going to bed at the moment. Yeah. in the Morning when they when they coming awake, you know, everything's becoming alive and see them just burst out the reeds, Mm -hmm. it's tremendous. So they're pretty much going down to
2: roost straight away, aren't they? They're not doing an awful lot of the whole of the, At the skydots. Yeah. Oh, doing well, hold on, <laughs> as we <Yeah>. speak. <laughs> yeah. They're doing um, a fantastic display.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes when you get, like, um, predators going through them, uh, that's when they really sort of do the memoration. So yeah. we get plenty of other bits like, um, you know, your, your kestrels, sparrowhawks. This is particularly fact, good. Uh, yeah. In fact... Here we go, guys. We've actually got a golden plover flying over as well, which is quite nice. It's okay. going through the moon. Quite nice. Did that set the starling flock off? They thought it was something... Yeah, sharp wings. and mm. Yeah, that's why they sort of mm. bunched together then. It was an amazing sort of swirl of sausage shapes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you get some incredible sort of photo opportunities in the winter. Mm. Uh, I mean, they, they can make some crazy shapes. People have seen eagles, people have seen everything sort of you know, from the shapes of the wind. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this constant changing mass. Um, I mean, when they really do get going, it's almost like it's a, one massive living organism. Mm. Oh, it's just tremendous. And how do they avoid crashing into each other? Which is the question. Well, yeah, well, everyone um, always um, asks me do you it like, yeah. <laughs> Well They do. Yeah, I mean, starlings have got an absolutely incredible, um, well, uh, spatial awareness. They can mm-hmm. they can actually sort of send seven starlings around mm-hmm. in their near vicinity. So one, and of course their birds' reactions are much much better than ours. So mm-hmm. as, as soon as one twists, the next one sort of you know, sort of, it's like a domino effect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah.
2: And will numbers build up even further through
1: the winter? Yeah, they should do. Um, I mean, the, the estimates last year were between two and six million. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a, a massive wide gap. Um, obviously, and um, again, because it's very difficult to actually sort of decide how many there are, we tend to say. Upwards of a million, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's kind of it's more on the safe side. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, I think I've counted at least two and a half million. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it. You know, it's it, it's it's so impossible to sort of count, and yet yeah. there's still more coming here. Yeah. Um, counted nine. <laughs> yeah,
4: that's
1: it. <laughs> it's, it's it is phenomenal. Um, mm. I mean, January, February tends to be the best sort of time to come down here, and um, that's when they tend to do a lot more of the murmuration anyway as well. Mm. Um, so. So, so that's the key period to
2: come if you're going to visit this, although there are, what, it's only 150 people here at the moment? so, so uh,
4: Yeah,
1: about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, during the winter, it can get, get very, very busy. Mm. Um, and, of course, the car park's very uh, <laughs> <quite a> nice. <laughs> nice. Um, so parking can be a issue but um, that's not too bad as long as so people park sensibly, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, um, But, yeah, I mean, we're... We're going to be down here every night, um, all the way through until the end of March, um, sort of talking to people about the starlings.
0: Yeah, they will be.
1: Um, it might be something to do with the light levels, yeah. Um, I mean, they do come from a fair, fair way away. I mean, we, we estimate that it can be as much as up to 25 miles. Okay. Um, like as a, as a radius. Oh, cool. There's some good chance over there. Um, yeah, so you know they will come from a fair distance, mm.
4: Mm. And, and
1: they usually have like little pre-roosts as well. Yes. So you know they'll go and sit on the wires and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, items. So. And then they'll all come together. Yeah, yeah.
4: There's a thing to will be off.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean that, that's the thing. If we get a sparrowhawk going yes. through at the moment, you know it could. Well, you you some, need to have one in a cage. So you can that's it. it yeah. yeah. My colleague's not here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <Not> Peregrine is <laughs> hanging around. So they they find good
2: feeding in this locality then. I mean the Somerset Levels, rich, yeah. fertile farmland, full of
1: absolutely kind well, of the main. Th- yeah, well the main thing they're after is actually uh, leather jacket, okay. uh, grubs. Um, um, really? Yeah, that's right. So they're doing so good. Yes. Absolutely. So that's why you often see them in your gardens. Yeah. Yes. Um, because I are they quite happily go for them. Yeah. Um, a big sort of key source, and of course you've got loads of, sort of farmland around oh, as well. Oh, cool. Oh. Um, I Can't quite get the sound on the podcast. Yeah. So I mean, the sound of their wings, and when they go overhead, um, and when they come really, really close, sometimes they can come as low as sort of twenty foot overhead, and you can hear this one. Yeah, As they go past them. They found the, the egg being pushed from their wings, and it's that noise that reverberates through the flock. That's the murmuration. Ah, okay, um, so, so it's not pimples. so much the, the patterns, yeah, it's the noise that sort of goes through. Fantastic, which is pretty cool.
2: Well, thanks very much, Chris. It's great to great to hear the, some words of wisdom about these starlings.
1: No problem at all.
2: The sun is beginning to set now, and I think most of the starlings have now roosted. But what a. What a feast, of, feast of wildlife. That's it from me. Goodbye from Ham Nature Reserve. And uh, I look forward to more wildlife adventures in the future. So there you have it, one of the world's great wildlife spectacles just down the road in, on, on the Somerset Levels. And I encourage absolutely anyone to get along this winter. It really is astonishing. And that's all from us this month. Thank you very much for listening. And goodbye from the Country Fire team.
0: Goodbye. goodbye.